In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me. Krista, how are you? I am awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm just amazed. I love your energy, and I can't wait to get into your story today. So one of my very first questions, and of course, the most loaded one, is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? So this might sound a little strange, but I'm okay with being labeled as strange. (laughs) And something I wrote about in my book and what inspired me most on my journey today was I had this clarifying moment when I was eight years old. I'm sure I'll have a chance to dive deeper into my story a little bit later, but I did not grow up in the best of circumstances. And I had this moment when I was about eight years old. And I remember very clearly thinking, this is not what I want my life to be. I don't choose this. And when I grow up, I'm going to choose something different for myself. And that was really such a shift for me and changed the way that I approached my life from that point forward. Because at that point, you know, I was pretty young then. So there wasn't a lot that I could do to change my situation yet. But I really started learning as much as I could learn about different ways that other people did things, you know, what did other people's families, how did they handle, you know, situations? I, you know, when I was a teenager, I started researching all these different religions and like going to different churches and trying all these different things, like any opportunity that came up for me to take some kind of extra class or some kind of personal development thing, you know, working with the school counselor, like whatever it was, like every opportunity I had to learn different ways and different tools to approach life. I was like, I'm going to do it. So as far as like what has totally inspired me, it's like that eight-year-old girl. It's like remembering her and that just despair and frustration. And then also that like determination that she had, that I had, you know, and that moment of just saying, this is not the life I want. And when I grow up, I choose something different for myself. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Krista. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. I mean, I could feel the power in your voice and and the eight-year-old girl sort of coming out, if you will. So what did you actually want to be when you grew up? What was like the goal? Well, professionally, I mean, I had a lot of ideas, although the one that I was most tied to most of my younger years was veterinarian, really wanted to be a veterinarian because I absolutely love animals. But, you know, life really sent me in a different direction in particular because of the way I grew up, because my family lived in poverty. And when I say lived in poverty, I mean, for a significant portion of my childhood, we were on welfare, like it was really pretty dire. Mm -hmm. And that plus some other circumstances in my life actually shifted things I had intended 
wanted to go to college after high school, but that didn't happen at all. Some, some things happened and I didn't go to college. So that kind of took veterinarian off of the options or out of the options, you know? Right. Every story is so different. And when you were sharing about basically going anywhere to go to different churches and going to different religions and trying out all these self-development things at a young age, I, I did the very same thing. My parents grew up in the communist era, so they didn't know, like they believed in the universe, right? They believed in God, but they weren't allowed to practice that, right? So I grew up and I'm like, what is the universe? What is God? What is all these things? And I would go to church and I was just, that's a whole nother topic, but I, I was always looking and to go there, even not just with my family. I would just go myself and I'm like, I want to learn more. <laughs> what is there to learn here? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like, you know, got all my friends at school and, you know, would ask them about like what religion they practice or what churches they go to. And I would go to services like with my different friends and like learn about all these different things because I was really curious and because I genuinely wanted something better, a better life for myself. And, you know, and that doesn't necessarily come through religion. That's just one example, right. Of, of how we can find a different path and find a different way. But that is one of the things that I tried, right. was going to all these different churches and being like, what can I learn here? You know? Yeah. What is the universe? What does this mean? Like, you know, what other ways are people thinking? thinking about the life that they have in front of them. Right. It's very profound to me that at eight years old, you were asking yourself these questions that not even grown adults at this stage would ask themselves, right? To be able to say, you know, like, who am I? What is this life? And how can I better it? At mm -hmm. eight years old. And so when you started going to these churches, were you like a teenager? You how old were you? About yeah, at that point in time, that was in high school that I really started doing that. You know, I did other things before, like I said, any opportunity at school for any kind of like special summer program or after school program, or, you know, considering that my family was living on welfare and in poverty, sometimes there was occasionally different types of programs that were available to us. And it was like every single one, I was like, yep, I want to try that. Yep, I want to try that. Yep, I'm going to try this. When I was, I think it was around like 11 or 12, my mom read this book called Women Who Love Too Much. And that led my mom to start going to Al-Anon. And I mean, I don't think she'd even gone for more than a couple meetings when I was like, mom, I want to try going to Al-Anon. And she explained to me that it was not for kids, <laughs> that it was for adults. But I was just like, I don't care. I want to learn about this. Like, what is this thing? Can, can I go? And I, and actually she did it. I'm taking me to Alateen, which, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just like anything that I could try and learn different ways. I was like, yeah, I want to learn about that. I want to explore that. I want to find that out. That's incredible. I came to the US when I was about five years old. My parents came with nothing and we were on welfare too, like growing up. I grew up in a very big, like scarcity mindset type of environment, if you will. And I remember too, I would always say, sign me up for whatever program there is. I want to learn this. I want to learn that. And you learn all these different perspectives and all these amazing things that exist in life because that's the only way that you can almost pull yourself out of it because you can see different places, right? How, how will you know the world if you never travel it? You know, and for me, it just, it started with coming from a place of curiosity, you know, it was just like, I'm curious. I want to learn. I want to know more. I don't know what the answer is, but I want to learn what it might be. That's incredible. Absolutely. And that was like me too. It's like, I needed to know everything. I need to know everything. I just love the parallels. You're so amazing. You're such a 
super, super fun and super, super cool because, you know, you went from welfare, welfare to wealth, which is really, really profound and incredible. And you're an incredible speaker. And I'm just excited to hear about your trajectory. So post high school, so you had mentioned that you didn't have a chance to get to go to college. So what was that road like for you? Yeah, I had intended to go to college and I was going to study biology, you know, referring back to, I mean, at that point, I wasn't sure still necessarily specifically on the veterinarian path, but I knew I was very interested in the sciences and in animal science in particular. And so I had been accepted into the college that I was going to go to. And I don't know how I thought I was going to pull this off, honestly, because my family was still in really bad shape at that point. My mom was in and out of the hospital. She was a single parent and in and out of the hospital. I had a a much younger sister at home. So, you know, I was 18, my little sister was 10 and I got accepted to this college out of state and I was just going to go for it. But then they had a paperwork error, like an administrative error. Like they basically lost my financial aid paperwork. And then they ended up finding it later after they'd already allocated all their financial aid for the year. And they were like, of course you qualify, but you know, unfortunately we can't, you know, give it to you this year so you can defer enrollment. And, you know, it was a hundred dollars to defer enrollment for a year. And I didn't have a hundred dollars. And at the same time, when I really sat down and thought about my situation, I mean, even though I wasn't mostly an adult or adultish at 18, you know, at that point in time, I realized that moving out of state without any family resources, without any resources of my own, moving away from my family, you know, with my little 10 year old sister at home, with my mom being in and out of the hospital, I was like, yeah, this is probably not the best move. And so, you know, I just started working and was like, I'll figure out the rest of it like later as I go, you know, but right now I just have to take care of what's in front of me. And, you know, that's what I was focused on is like taking care of what was in front of me for, for several years. So, and then, you know, there were times that I was in a position where I thought, well, now maybe I could consider going to college, but my life just had a different trajectory. And I realized, you know, that just wasn't actually where I was supposed to be. What made you realize that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there was definitely the level that like, it was really scary to me to, you know, obviously my financial aid would not have completely paid for the type of school that I wanted to go to and the type of degree I wanted to pursue. And the idea of taking on debt was really scary to me having grown up the way that I did. And so that was a piece of it too. But it was also like, you know, there was a point in time in my early twenties where my little sister was talking about coming to live with me and I was going to be the one taking care of her. And, you know, again, like I didn't have the bandwidth to navigate my own life, work, support my sister and try to go to school at the same time. Right. You know, it was just like, I I just have to take care of me and what's in front of me. And as it turned out, my little sister did not end up coming to live with me, but I felt very much like there was still work for me to do. There was still learning for me that was not necessarily academic learning. It was like learning about myself and learning, continuing to learn, you know, continuing to honor that eight-year-old girl that I was, that was like, I choose a better life. And it was just like, I don't have this all. I mean, we'll never have it all figured out, (laughs) but you know, I was still not in a good place in my early twenties and then into my mid twenties, you know, I was still really on the path of learning better ways to live. And that was a priority over getting a degree. Right. They call it the school of hard knocks, which I think is much more powerful than any other degree on a piece of paper could ever be. Right. 
Yes, absolutely. So what were some of the biggest challenges and how did you break past them? You know, I had a very unhealthy relationship with my mom. And from a young age, I had become like an emotional caretaker of my mom. And my mom has a very serious mental illness, dissociative identity disorder, which people more commonly know as multiple personality disorder. That was the old name. The new name is dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I became an emotional caretaker of my mom um, at a very young age. And so had a very unhealthy relationship with her. And it was almost like I didn't really know how to be my own person because I had spent so much of my life really trying to manage her, take care of her, make sure she was taken care of. You know, when I was about, I think I was 16 years old, my mom was in and out of the mental hospital so often that she had me added on her checking account as a signer so that like I could be the one to make sure that like all the rent got paid and the bills got paid and everything got taken care of. And so, you know, the biggest challenge for me was really navigating that relationship with my mom and separating my identity and my well-being from hers and allowing her well-being to be her own responsibility and allowing her to take care of herself to the best of her ability, which honestly is not very, right? Her ability in that area is not great, but it was like, I had to just let that be. I had to let that be okay because my only chance to create something different for myself, to build something different for myself was to focus on myself and not on her and how she was doing and what she was doing and all of those things, or even my little sister, you know, being a little bit less of like feeling like I was responsible for her and just allowing her to find her own path as well. I mean, I wish there'd been another way. I wish there'd been another functional, responsible adult in, in our lives that could have come in and helped any of my sisters or I, but that was just not the situation we grew up in. Right. And thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, it's a tough thing. Boundaries are a very, very tough thing, especially when it's the closest people to us, right? It's like, how do you not just want to like swoop in, take all their pain and then have them be free from it? Right. But we can't, like, we did it. So we can't. <laughs> uh, there was definitely a point that I realized that it didn't matter what I did, that my mom's journey and her experience was her own. And so I could be trying as hard as I could to keep things stable for her and to help her on her path. And it was like, she was just having the experience she was having regardless of what I did. And I was like, you know what? I can't help her, but I can help myself. And so that's what I focused on. Right. So how did you set those boundaries? Because that is an extremely hard thing to do, to learn. It's like, ah! I did it so imperfectly as we all do, but especially in the beginning, because, and I don't think I included this detail in, in my book when I wrote about my story, but actually in my twenties, there was a point that I, I wrote my mom this letter and I told her, you know, what I was thinking and what I was doing and that I needed to take some time to, to focus on myself and that you know, as long as I was having regular contact with her was really hard for me to focus where I needed to focus and to make things better for me. And so I told her I would not be in contact with her for a while. I expected this to be very temporary, but you know, once I wasn't having regular contact with her and it was like, I just had my own stuff to deal with. There was so much to work through there. So it actually turned out that I did not have any contact with my mom for eight years. And I never thought it would be that long, but that's what it was. Wow. Because you had your own things that you needed to work through. And I'm sure you were paying attention to everything with her that you didn't have a chance to even process you. And then when that time finally came, I mean, that's what you needed for the healing process. 
And ironic that it's the number eight. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, I was eight when I made that decision. But, you know, the thing is, is like, that was a very hard boundary that I set with her. And it may be what I needed to do at the time, only because I didn't know any other way. I didn't know how to have contact with her and not get drawn into how she was doing and her latest suicide attempt and, you know, all of these things, you know, her phone getting shut off again, her electric getting shut off again, you know, like I just didn't know how to not get sucked into that. And so, you know, that was a very imperfect boundary because it was just like, it was all or nothing. Right. But I did it, you know, and that's, I think that's how it works with boundaries, you know, whether they're personal boundaries. I think when we think about boundaries, we think a lot about more personal relationships, but, you know, boundaries are all around us. We have professional boundaries and personal boundaries and they, they go across and, you know, we're not always going to do it perfectly. And so it's a little bit of just practicing and trying different things and seeing what happens. And, you know, that's how I started with my mom was a really hard boundary and it was very firm and it was very like, I didn't, it was no contact because I didn't know how to manage that anything in between, but you know, that is not necessarily the way that I set boundaries now it's, they're not necessarily all or nothing. They're not necessarily walls that disconnect me from people because I believe that boundaries truly can be a source of connection with others, like healthy connection and a a source of like honoring ourselves at the same time that we honor other people. And that first boundary I set with my mom had some elements of that in there, but it also had maybe even some unhealthy elements in it because it was so, it did disconnect me from her completely, right? It was such a wall that I put up as opposed to a bridge. Right. Imperfect boundaries. Oh man, I agree with you. I did it myself too, that I would just shut things out because I didn't know any other way to deal with it. That's what it was. But I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so throughout your healing process, after you took those eight years, so what what happened during those eight years for you? And how was your healing process throughout that? You know, for those eight years, one of the most significant things that happened for me was I got married the first time and it was not a long marriage. You know, it was a marriage that had issues in it, of course, because I was still learning. I was learning how to navigate healthy relationships. I hadn't had a lot of examples of healthy relationships. And again, I wrote in my book, one of the chapters in there is talking about, you know, getting divorced and then filing for bankruptcy afterwards uh, when I was at age 29, by the time this all wrapped up and the fact that that was actually, I came to a place with that, where that wasn't a failure. That was actually a success. That was a really a version of me honoring myself, both the decision to get divorced, as well as the decision to file for bankruptcy, because, you know, growing up, I had very black and white thinking. And when you live in survival mode, I think it's really easy to be in that black and white thinking. And so, you know, getting married and realizing the flaws in the relationship and continuing my own personal work in a variety of ways. And then making the decision to leave that marriage that was borderline abusive. Like there was some elements of domestic abuse in there that were present in that relationship. And so deciding to leave that was such an honoring thing for me. I mean, it was really such growth for me. And it was like, this isn't about, I made this mistake. This is about, I literally have no point of reference for what a healthy relationship, you know, should look like. And so this was me practicing and trying different things and learning. And, and I came out of it, not because I made a mistake. I came out of it because it was like, 
oh, I learned a lot more than I knew before I went into this about how I want to be treated and what I'm willing to accept and what boundaries I set with the people in my life and all of those kinds of things. And it was similar with, you know, filing for bankruptcy. I had not actually been not paying my bills ever. You know, I had been keeping up with my bills, but I had this moment of realization of just acknowledging that the most loving thing that I could do for myself would was actually to file for bankruptcy because I was like, I did some estimations and I was like, okay, at this point, if I continue the way I have been paying off these debts, and a lot of them were marital debts. And some of it was stuff that my ex-husband had not told me about. There was um, a bunch of debts that he had racked up without my knowledge. So it was like, you know, I would just be punishing myself by trying to force myself to pay this all off and thinking that I have to pay these dues. I mean, I've paid enough dues in my life already, haven't I? Like this resource, this option of filing bankruptcy exists for good reason. And this is an opportunity for me to make things a little easier for myself. And haven't I had it hard enough up to this point as it, as it stands. And then, you know, my decision to file for bankruptcy was definitely cemented when I had an injury and multiple surgeries. And even though I had health insurance, it was like thousands and thousands of dollars in co-pays. You know, like I said, I hadn't not been paying any of my bills. I had been consistently paying my bills always. It was just, I realized I was never going to get ahead doing it that way. And that the medical bills on top of that, you know, really, that really shook me because I was like, you know, not only do I have to navigate all of these co-pays right now with insurance, by the way, <laughs> you know, but realizing that if anything else catastrophic happens, then I could very well be in a position that I can't afford to pay it. So I'm going to proactively make the decision that gives me the best possible chance for a better future. You know, again, going back to honoring that eight-year-old version of myself and just saying, you know, I did the best I could with what I knew and the resources I had. And now I know better. And I know that I Everything doesn't have to be hard and I can take advantage of any kind of opportunity that makes things easier for me. And it's okay to do that. And that comes from a place of self-love and not from a place of shame. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Krista. I mean, our journeys define us in so many different ways, right? And what I love is how you took this and then you basically put your pain to purpose which I thought was the coolest thing ever in your speaking and all of that. So walk me through your transformative journey of, you know, through that healing process and that you just mentioned and how you got to speaking. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mentioned I'd started working right after high school instead of going to college. And I found out that I have a skill for bookkeeping and accounting. And I didn't know that I had the skill. And so, yeah, you know, I learned on the job and I kept learning and I started dabbling in HR and I was learning a lot of HR stuff on the job. And so I was really building a very successful career for myself. And that was awesome. And it was going really, really well. But I had so much toxic stress in my life. And I wish I could say that it was all the job that gave me the stress, but it wasn't that. It was how I showed up within my work. The level of responsibility that I took on, responsibility that people didn't even ask me to take on, um, you know, responsibility that people didn't even want me to take on. I just took it on, right? Like the weight of the world on my shoulders. I carried it around all the freaking time. And so in my mid-30s, I had a series of health issues and I had 
uh, ended up having seven surgeries in six years. I ended up getting shingles when I was 35. And I had this moment, you know, especially when I, particularly when I got shingles, because the doctor said, okay, it's someone your age, 35, like, this is a hundred percent stress related. 35 year olds don't get shingles. unless they have extreme stress in their life. And so it was a realization that there was more work for me to do. And I started writing a work-life balance blog. And that was my way of integrating into my life a lot of the tools that I'd already learned, but maybe just wasn't using every day or as effectively as I could. So I started writing this weekly work-life balance blog and I would talk about different things I was trying and what I learned from these different tools and which ones were really working for me and which ones weren't. And this turned into, you know, a lot of people reaching out to me for advice about their work life, you know, and saying, well, I had all this great accounting and business knowledge. And I had all this great HR knowledge. And then I had all this own now like work-life balance knowledge that I was building. And so people were coming to me, asking me for advice a lot. They would say to me, I would have friends or coworkers come to me and say, you know, you should do this for a living. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't even know what that I was like, had no concept of what that could possibly look like or how that would work. And I just kept thinking, what? And so I wrote this blog for about 10 years and, you know, started doing some speaking around it just because I wanted to for fun, right? Like not because I was trying to build a business or anything. It was like literally just for fun. And then, you know, still like helping people out, giving people advice. And it was when I had an opportunity to work with a coach that I realized, oh, this is what it could look like basically for, you know, the thing that people have been telling me, Krista, you should do this for a living. I was like, oh, now I have this picture of what that could look like. So I quit my corporate job and with the intention of starting my own business, doing career coaching, because that was really my main area of expertise. And that's what I did. I mean, it took a couple of years for me to get you know, fully into launching my business for real. But I did when I was 40, I launched my business for real in a coaching business. And I started doing a lot of speaking associated with that. And I wrote a book called Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Odds. And it just, my journey just keeps taking me to new and surprising places that I did not expect it to take me. That's incredible. So it started from a blog, then it turned into speaking, and then that speaking turned into a book, which is so incredible. Oh my gosh. Can you give us a couple or even one, whatever you want to share from your, from your book? Cause I want people to read it. So don't tell us everything, but just like a little nugget. Well, I'll tell you something that was really important to me in writing this book. So, you know, I had a lot of advice coming at me around, like I should write a book that really aligned with the career coaching I was doing. And it, and it does, and it doesn't right. Writing this book took me in a really different direction in my business and in my life, because I really wrote the book I wanted to write, not necessarily the book that made the most business sense, (laughs) you know, at the time. And the reason it was important to me to write this book and something I talk about in the introduction, and then it's interwoven throughout the book is, you know, having grown up in, poverty, on welfare, having mental illness in my family, these things meant that I didn't have access to the same opportunities as a lot of my peers. And things were harder for me. I had to work harder to achieve the same 
things that other people that had a little more privilege maybe didn't have to work as hard for. And as I was doing all of this learning and continue to do all this learning and this personal development work and like trying to honor that eight-year-old version of myself and really finding a ways to create a better life. One thing I've noticed is that a lot of people who are either standing on the front of the stage, uh, the people who are writing blogs, the people who are writing books, this isn't across the board, but many of these people are coming from a place of privilege and they're giving advice from a perspective of privilege. And I feel like there's been so many times that I've sat in an audience or read a book and felt very inspired by what I was hearing, but also felt a little discouraged by it. And there was the study that I read about. It was a 2017 study on motivation that was done with these inner city kids. And what they found is that when these kids were told, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but this is essentially like these kids were told, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. You just have to have the right attitude and work hard at it. What they found in the study on motivation is that the kids with less privilege all of a sudden started performing worse at school. They started engaging in risky behavior and they became demotivated. And when the researchers started to ask this question, why, what they found out is that when given the message that you can do anything that you set your mind to, these students would encounter barriers. The less privileged students would encounter barriers. Right. And instead of recognizing, oh, the reason I'm struggling is because of this barrier, that's not the internal thought that these students had. The internal thought that they had was, me, I'm wrong. There is something wrong with me that I can't do this. I see other people doing it. So the blame, the flaw is within me. I am inherently flawed that I can't make this work for me. And when I read about this study, I had such an aha moment and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the discouragement that I have felt in my journey and like listening to these amazing speakers and being inspired, but also feeling frustrated that like I couldn't necessarily get the same results as they could. And so my book is all about acknowledging where you're at and not holding yourself to the standard that's like, here's where someone else is. This is their journey. You know, I say in the book, you can't do anything, but you can do something. So what is that something that you can do? What is that something that you are uniquely positioned to do? But let's take away this idea that like, you can do anything, you can be anything. I just don't believe that's true. If you are experiencing systemic oppression, if you have mental illness, if you have a disability, you can't do anything, but you can absolutely do something. I love that. I love that. And it puts the realistic approach on it because of what barriers that people are going to face. Because if you tell them you can do anything and there will be no problems, you're painting a flawed picture for them. But if you say, okay, acknowledge where you're at, here's what you're probably going to face and let's smash through that. Like, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. Oh man. Thank you so much for sharing that on your book. So amazing. And I hope everybody who's listening reads it. It's going to be, the link's going to be in, in your bio and everything. So that's going to be fantastic. But one of the questions that I have for you, and it's probably, probably have touched on it a few times, but I wonder if it's anything different is what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? You know, I find this question so interesting because I really don't know that I would tell that younger self anything different because I don't know how that would shift and change her journey. And my journey has not been simple or easy. It's been painful, but it's been mine. It's been a hundred percent mine and it's led me to where I am today. And everything in my life isn't perfect where I am today, but 
I don't know that I would change anything. So if like, what would I want to say to her? I wouldn't want to tell her anything that was going to change what she did. I think what I would truly want to say to her and something that I did say to her in the dedication of my book is I love you. And simply that, like just pour love on this girl that didn't necessarily experience a lot of healthy love and didn't have a lot of that in her life. And, you know, I just want to keep that on her, you know? I love you so much. You are so worthy of love. That's true for all of your listeners. And I say this a lot when I talk, like you are enough and you do enough. I say that a lot when I speak because I want us to all know that like we are inherently valuable. We are inherently worthy. And there is nothing that we need to do to prove that, to justify that, to make that so. That is just within all of us. I love that, Krista. I do have to ask you, what's your biggest tip for believing in yourself to being a badass rock star? (laughs) Yes, I love this question, right? Like this is what my whole book is about because it is about believing in yourself. And it's honestly, you just start with one thing. You just start where you're at and you start with one thing and you just focus on that thing and you practice that thing until you get good at it. Whatever that thing is for you, that's going to take you to the next level and the next level, right? I mean, to simplify that statement, it's really basically boils down to do the next right thing. And so you may not have that belief in yourself to start. You may not have total belief in yourself, but I suspect that if every one of us looks inward, there is some part of belief that we might have in ourselves. So it's like, what's that seed? What's that seed of self-worth in you? And let's start watering that seed and let's start feeding that seed and let's start tending to that seed. And so it just starts really small and like one thing. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And now, so what are you up to in your world in the next six to 12 months? What's happening in Crystal World? So much is going on. I have stepped away from doing one-on-one coaching and I'm totally focused right now on my speaking career and my writing career. And so in the next six to 12 months, I want to start writing my next book. Also working on an audio version of Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Odds and getting out there more as a speaker. You know, I did a lot of virtual events last year during COVID, but I'm so excited now that we're starting to come together in person again. In-person events are totally my jam. And so looking forward to traveling, getting out in front of people, talking to more and more people because I want to help inspire people. I want to be that person that's on the stage that's not just motivating the people in the audience, but that's really allowing them to access a new way of thinking, a new way of moving forward and helping them do the same thing that I was able to do for myself and what that eight-year-old girl, like I want to choose something better for myself. Amen. I love that, Krista. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, where can everybody find you in your awesomeness? So you can go to my website and find all about me as a speaker and author, as well as I also founded and run a introvert friendly women's leadership group called She Goes High. So you can find all of that information at my website, which is at liveandlovework.com. That's liveandlovework.com. You can find all of those things there and more. You can find all my old blog posts, 10 years worth of work-life balance blog posts you can find there. Love it, Krista. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and where to find you and just your story. I absolutely adored it. You are a total badass rock star and I adore it. I can't wait to see what you do in the world. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm very grateful to be here and to get to share my story. And I know that you have listeners that 
are maybe feeling stuck or discouraged right now. And I'm just going to repeat something I said before, because I feel like I just can't say it enough. And that is you are enough and you do enough. You're amazing, Krista. Thank you so much. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.